think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast. I'm Zach Kroll. I'm your host. And we're going to be continuing our conference preview series here on the show where we are taking a look at each of the conferences around college basketball, around the Power Six, and telling you guys everything you need to know about these conferences going into the season. In case you missed it, earlier we did record the Big East Conference preview. That is on the feed. It was a great, great time breaking down the Big East with our guy Aaron Torres. And he is back with us here today talking about the SEC. And I would say over the course of the last four or five years, we've spoken a lot about this SEC basketball, kind of like the Big East a little bit. In that episode, we spoke about the conference being reborn and the fact that for the first time in a while, it felt like there were just a ton of these teams, a ton of these games taking the center stage of college hoops by storm. And that's exactly what we've seen in the SEC over the course of the last few years. Around the time the SEC network came into play about a decade ago, these conferences finally started to invest and really go all in in basketball. And we know the SEC. We know their motto. It just means more. And I know a lot of people, when they hear that, they apply it mainly to just the football field. But whether it's in basketball, whether it's in baseball, any sport, when an SEC team is playing, you know their fan base is going to be a 1,000% invested in it. And that's why I love watching this conference so much. And it's pretty intriguing, too, because unlike the Big East, I look at the group of the uh, the top group of teams, and there might not be just one clear-cut team to beat. And I think the top of this conference and how it settles over the course of the season is going to be really fascinating. So, A.T., thank you so much once again for joining me here today on the show. When you look at the top of the SEC – what stands out, and who do you think the best team is uh, and the favorite should be going into the season? First of all, ZK, love coming out with you. People that missed the Big East, go back and download it. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, yes, this is the Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel, but Zach and I work together during college hoop season. You'll be seeing a lot of him on this channel. Uh, but to an- So to answer your question, okay, and I think – and we talked about this on the Big East podcast with e- – do you take UConn today over Marquette? Probably not. But in a tournament setting, one and done, it's hard to bet against the Huskies. And I I, I would say, and this isn't a knock because I know some people take it that way. I would say today, this second, right now, I think the best team in the SEC is the Tennessee Volunteers, baby. Rocky Top, Tennessee. Um, listen, and and I think the thing that, that I noticed kind of as I was prepping for this show, Zach, and, and just what we do all offseason, talking about teams and rosters and stuff, um, a lot of really good teams. I mean, it's the standard Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Auburn. 
But listen, Mississippi State, I know they're going through some injuries. Mississippi State should probably be improved. Florida should be improved. I think LSU is improved, and they finished in last place in the league last year. So there's not a lot of programs going in the opposite direction, but I, I would say that Tennessee today is, in my opinion, the best team. I'll try to be brief, but for all the flack that, that Rick Barnes has gotten, you know, made the Sweet 16 last year without Sakai Ziegler, all reports are that Sky Ziegler is going to be, I don't know if he'll be ready to go for the start of the season, but it, it won't be very much after. Um, play great defense. Very, We know who they are. And then they added some really nice pieces in the offseason, most notably Dalton Connect, who I think will help with some of that those offensive um, you know, lapses that they went through last year. So again, by March, I think Kentucky could be really good. I think Arkansas could be really good. And by the way, I think those teams are good now. But if you're asking me today here in October, I'll go with Tennessee. I'd agree, man. And I, I just wanted to say this about Rick Barnes. I think that last year, and I know it's easy to forget because of what happened in the next round in the in the Sweet 16 against Florida Atlantic, but what they did to Duke in the round of 32 yep. was, it was great. Duke like, fans are still I, complaining about it. Oh my God, they're so physical. It's like, that's how they played all year. That's Tennessee, baby. They rattled him. And you're right. That was just an awful, awful matchup for Duke. But especially considering, too, what happened to Tennessee in the 2022 NCAA tournament when they lost in pretty embarrassing fashion to Michigan and their offense just could not get anything going. I was very happy for Rick Barnes that his team was able to do that against Duke on the biggest stage of the NCAA tournament, just a dominant victory without Zakai Ziegler. And uh, I think that was a little bit of a preview for what we could see going into this season because kind of like with Creighton in the Big East, I kind of put Tennessee in that same category I think that this team is built very well. I think the pieces fit together very nicely. And unlike years past, when I felt like there was almost too much talent on the Tennessee roster and Rick Barnes just had a little bit of a tough time kind of deciphering like what the right rotations are and who he should be playing at uh, different times, I just feel like, especially with Ziegler back, you have that clear backcourt of Ziegler running things. You have Viscovi, one of the more underrated players in the SEC, in my opinion, is Jemai Meshack, just a great defender. You're going to put him on the other team's best player every time. You bring back Josiah Jordan-James. You have great front court depth with uh, Jonas Adu and Toby Awaka. You mentioned Connect. They have a really good uh, young player in Freddie Delone, who's going to be also a guard off the bench when Ziegler comes back. He might even start the season and replace uh, in in place for him. Like I look at this team, and I think it has a chance to be one of the better Tennessee teams we've seen in recent memory. And I know we all like to get on Rick Barnes for his struggles in the NCAA tournament, but this is a team built to do serious damage. And especially after last year and what they did to Duke, I know it's a long ways away. We're going to obviously have to watch the games and see how they play out, but I'm confident in this Tennessee team, man. I would rank them in the top five entering the season, and I absolutely would make them the favorite in the SEC. I don't want to start pissing people off here like four minutes in, but do some math. So 20, it was 19 that they made the Sweet 16, right? And they lost to Purdue. So 2019, no tournament in 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, last four tournaments. They've made the second weekend of the tournament twice. Their border rival in blue has made it once over that same stretch. So that was 2019. Obviously, we know about the droughts that Kentucky's. So like the point is, is that like, I think, 
I, like, I think the legacy of Rick Barnes from Texas has carried over where now we just assume that he can't win in the tournament. And it's like, you know, basically a, a, a blown call away from going to the Elite Eight in 2019. Uh, and it was a blown call. Carson Edwards did not get, what, what was it? He fouled or didn't get fouled. I can't even remember now. Um, and then last year, you know, without their starting point guard, crush Duke, go to the Sweet 16. Um, and there's been disappointments. I mean, that the 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 year you referenced, 2022, like they were really good coming into that tournament. They got screwed on seeding, but that's neither here nor there. So, like the point I'm trying to make is is that I think there's a little bit too much like Rick Barnes negativity relative to what he has done, and frankly, relative to what Tennessee was before he got there uh, and created some stability in that program. Yeah, and I think when you look at the Tennessee program overall, it, it's still pretty underrated maybe even because of those tournament failures, like what they are now compared to what they were when Rick Barnes first got there. And there's no denying that this guy is one of the best, most consistent coaches in the country. And I do think they they always say, like, just keep knocking at that door of the NCAA tournament and eventually you will break it open. But I just think overall it's underrated too, like just how much talent this team has and is bringing back. Experience is key. Vescovi and uh, Jordan James, they're both six-year senior or fifth-year seniors. They've been with that program for a really long time. And I do think going uh, into the season, this team deserves all the hype they're getting. And one last thought, looking at their non-conference schedule, we're going to learn a lot about this team really quickly. The second game of the season on November 10th, they will go on the road to Wisconsin. I'm actually higher on the Badgers than most. I probably am going to put them in my preseason top 25. I think at the Cole Center, that is a heck of a test early. They go to North Carolina in the... Uh, uh, ACC SEC challenge that's the new uh, event that's going to be taking place in in uh, place for the Big Ten ACC challenge they'll also take on Syracuse in the first round of the Maui Invitational we have te- uh, Gonzaga there we have Marquette there we have Purdue there they're a bunch of really good teams and they also will host Illinois in early December so just a ton of early tests for this volunteers team early and that's one thing we always know with Rick Barnes he's never afraid to play anyone no, and they usually play well I mean they won the battle for Atlantis last year they beat Kansas um, I can't remember everything, but I, I just remember vividly, like, you know, Kansas had so much hype coming off the national championship and they were really good. Uh, but Tennessee took care of them in the Bahamas and they've, they've had other good, you know, stuff in the early part of the season. So no, I, I give, uh, I, I give them a ton of credit. Cause I, I don't think people, I, I think it's easy to live in the moment. I think it's easy. It's harder to remember what the program was like before he got there. Now, again, you know, it's a long season. It hasn't always been the prettiest style of basketball and you got to win in March. I mean, we love the sport. We watch the sport from the beginning of the season on, but, but you know, you're defined by what you do in March. And obviously in many years he hasn't done enough, but, but like I said, I think last year he got about as much as he possibly could have out of that team. So you mentioned their rivals in blue and that's where I wanted to go to next. And it's so interesting with Kentucky, right? Because especially right after they lost in the NCAA tournament to Kansas state. And we were getting all these announcements, you know, Jacob Toppins leaving Chris Livingston, who was a guy that was kind of 50, 50. We didn't know if he would be back or not. Like he's out the door. Oscar Shibway obviously is out the door. They miss on Hunter Dickinson. And it felt like for a month or two there in the off season, it just felt like everything was going wrong for Kentucky. And just the overall vibe around the program was not great. And you know, with that fan base, when you have a coach as polarizing as John Calipari, you're going to hear about it. And I don't want to say it was as simple as just, I watched their uh, foreign tour in Spain and my opinions just changed, but it felt like as time went on, they add Trey Mitchell from the transfer portal. We get word that Antonio Reeves is going to be coming back as well. And it just felt like, 
as the summer went on and as we've gotten closer and closer to the start of the season, I've just started to convince myself, like, you know what? John Calipari, I know he hasn't made a Final Four since 2015. He hasn't won a national championship in a decade now. But at the end of the day, this Kentucky team is going to be right in the thick of things when it matters the most. They do have the number one of recruiting class with all those guys. DJ Wagner, Robert Dillingham, Justin Edwards, Aaron Bradshaw. They obviously have those guys I just mentioned, uh, older players coming back. And I do like the mix in age and experience within this team. And even though it might not look like some of the Kentucky teams that we've seen in the last few years, maybe that's a good thing for John Calipari to be going back to these freshman-oriented teams because he's had a lot of success winning with them. Yeah, one quick thing, by the way. I'm not I'm not here to correct you, but I don't want BBN on your, you know, behind is uh Florentor and Toronto like uh oh, you said exactly. Spain there. I said Spain my bad <laughs> yeah I mean they're kind of they're basically the same thing you know very contemporary cities anyway uh so Kentucky I, so first of all you mentioned this and I you know you talk about things you get right you get wrong like I think I was probably very critical and maybe too critical of Kentucky in the offseason um, during the portal cycle, right? You know, I mean, you see a program like Arkansas reaching out to everybody. St. John's, who we talked about last episode, reaching out to everybody. And and I thought Cal was moving a little bit too slow. And I, like, I don't think there was some like, I guess there was a master plan, but I thought he was moving too slow. But I think really what it came down to was he knew how good his freshmen were. Uh, Aaron Bradshaw's hurt right now, but you at the time he what we didn't think he was hurt. Maybe Cal knew because I think he hurt his foot in June, whatever. So the point I'm trying to make is like, I think he knew like I I brought on all these guys to play. Like I'm not bringing in somebody to play over Justin Edwards, over DJ Wagner, over Aaron Bradshaw. And so again, I was probably a little too critical of, of Kentucky in the the portal cycle. And I agree is that, listen, I know it's easy to say, oh, it's a, it's an overseas trip. It's a foreign trip. It's a whatever, blah, 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 this and that. You can't take too much out of it. Two things stand out. One, I do think it was different than the typical foreign tour because this was a an event where Kentucky was basically the Team USA representative in an international tournament. And so why I bring it up is a foreign tour traditionally is not, hey, we have to win at all costs. Um, you know, I, I remember like, doing some looking up some stuff on like Kansas state and like Jerome Tang made it a priority. We're going to play a different starting lineup in every game on our tour because we want to see different this, that Kentucky was there to win that tournament. And to their credit, they were great. And so to, to your point, I think I was probably a little lower on them too, but I also think seeing them in person, you can see the talent. Um, you could see the fact that, um, you know, that why all these guys were so highly rated, and the other thing I'll say, and I think you and I probably chatted about this at some point in the summer, like you love Oscar Sheboy, you love what he meant to that program, but when you see that team without Oscar Sheboy, you can see some of the limitations that they had with him. And I love the kid, and he was great for college basketball, but when he was on the court, you kind of had to center, no pun intended, but center everything around him. Whereas the first possession of that those games in Toronto, you see them up and down the court pressing, dribble drive, you know, uh, you know, beat your guy off the dribble, kick it out into the corner. Those are just things you couldn't do without Oscar Shibway. And so, I don't mean to belabor the point. Uh, he was a great player, national player of the year. But I don't think I realized how limited you can be when he is in your lineup until I actually saw Kentucky without him. And it sounds weird. You lose a national player of the year type player, a guy that did win it two years ago. And you think like, how are you going to replace him? I think in some ways, in many ways, this team will be better, deeper, kind of all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, and I think it's a good point because with Shibway, even though he was a star and he was super productive, when he was on the floor, you know that Kentucky just had a clear weakness. The opponent could just put him in a ball screen, and there's that. He, he wasn't able to defend it. And I know a lot of Kentucky fans were really interested in Hunter Dickinson uh, this offseason, too. He ended up going to Kansas. But I'm curious to see, like, you have Bradshaw, you have Edwards, like you have all of these guys. I know there's been some talk about, like, those guys and playing center. Like, would you want to put him there? But you have Trey Mitchell, too. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing Kentucky, I don't want to say play a more modern style of offense because there's no evidence that they're going to do that. But I definitely think it would be, like, a little bit more – pointed in that direction because we know this team at times last year including in that uh ncaa tournament loss to kansas state it would just be so hard for them to score the ball at times and i'm just hoping with quicker more athletic guys like wagner and dillingham with the ball in their hands too like that will be able to help things and they have experience like i I can't emphasize that enough how important adding reeves and and mitchell were especially as as uh, as late in the offseason as they were able to do it yeah, and and I think, you know, you mentioned we don't have evidence, and I think that's the big thing with Kentucky is when those guys do get healthy, are you going to stick with the way that you played in Toronto because it was clearly effective? One other thing I want – so two other things. One, I do think the kid they just got on campus, uh, Zvonavir Ivicic, he just did a little interview with Coach Cal right before we recorded here. I saw, uh, you know, big kid, uh, Croatian – I think he's going to be really important to them, especially early in the season. He's skinny, but he's kind of a stretch player, whatever. And so I think he's an important guy to mention with them. The other thing I do want to say, like, you know, you talked about Kansas State and this and that. Like, I'm not making excuses because whenever you preface stuff like this, it sounds like you're making excuses. But um, remember, this they were up at like the under four minute mark. I think they were up against Kansas State. And then Keontae Johnson went crazy, hit some really, really, really tough shots. Um, and it is worth noting, like that was obviously the game that unfortunately Antonio Reeves, who had been great for them, had 40 points or 38 points or whatever it was in Fayetteville, just couldn't hit a bucket. And doesn't mean he's a bad kid, doesn't mean anything like that. But it's like there were so many things, like if if that kid goes, if that, and I think I did the math on this. I forget what it was. I think he shot, he ended up shooting like two of 19 from the field or something like that. And it, I remember looking it up and being like, okay, he shot like 8% from the field. And if he shot like, 20% from the field instead of 8%, they beat Kansas state. And then they're, they're, they're going to the sweet 16 at Madison square garden. So I'm not making excuses, but this was not like, th- this wasn't a team last year that like got into the NCA tournament, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, holding on for dear life. Like they got there, they played a really good team. I actually, you know, listen, I picked Kansas state. I thought it was a bad matchup for them because of Oscar Sheboy. But they weren't that far off from going to the Sweet 16, would have matched up well with Michigan State, et cetera. It's not an excuse. It's a whatever. It's a reality. And I just bring it up, say, I I, I think they're one of the more intriguing teams in the SEC this year because I, I think they have a chance to be really good because, as you said, Cal, this, these are the teams that he thrives with. We talk about you know Tennessee early in the year being really good. Kentucky, I think, is going to get better over the course of the year. Really excited to watch them. I was going to ask you about that, the age factor, because we know in college basketball how important it is to have an older, experienced team, especially if you want to win in March. And like we mentioned earlier, there was one point in the offseason where it was looking like in during the transfer portal when all of those guys like Hunter Dickinson were committing. It's like, man, is, does John Calipari like know what's going on in college basketball? How is he bringing in just a team full of freshmen and think that's going to be able to be successful in March. But 
He got two of those guys, uh, two older experienced players within the program. How do you feel about that in 2023, 2024, having a freshman latent team, if anyone could have success with it, it is John Calipari based on the fact that he did it so many times earlier in his coaching tenure in Lexington. But do you think that philosophy and having such a young group of players leading the team could be successful in today's version of the game? So I'm so glad you asked, and we did not prepare this question and answer but uh, before the show, but I think... I I get it. And as somebody who loves the portal and follows it as closely as anybody, I get that it's an older sport, right? But at the end of the day, first of all, first of all, the narrative that you can't win in college basketball with freshmen is nonsense. Alabama last year was number one team in the country for most of the year. I think it was three of their top five players, three of their top five scorers were freshmen. It was Brandon Miller, Jaden Bradley, and uh, Noah Clowney was the other one. Like they were awesome all year long. And they had, two guys that were McDonald's All-Americans and Miller and Bradley. And then Clowney uh, was, I think, a first-round pick, maybe early second. I can't remember where he ended up. But, I mean, they were all freshmen, and they were awesome because the freshmen were good enough. Um, And I think you could see something similar at Kentucky. Now, number one team in the country for most of the year, that's not what I'm saying. But I do think that they can overachieve because I think the freshmen are good enough. And, And I think, you know, one... He played against older kids in that international tournament. I know people say, oh, it's some tournament. Who cares? It's like, no, but I, I don't think they'll be intimidated. And the other thing is, I think it's worth noting, virtually everybody else in college basketball, they're going to be going through growing pains too, right? Um, now, you play Kansas early. Kansas is really good. But you look at Alabama. Alabama lost a ton of talent. I think Alabama's going to be good. We'll talk about them. But they lost a lot. Arkansas obviously lost a lot. Um you know, you go on and on down the list. I'm trying to think of some of the teams that Kentucky plays in the out of conference outside of them. Like everybody lost stuff. And I think having those extra games on that, that, that trip to Toronto helped. And like, I'm just not as down on them as everybody else. I think everybody else wants to, you know, the Calipari era is dead. He can't win in the tournament anymore. Like I don't buy it. I mean, and I'm not, again, it sounds like when you say stuff like this, you're making an excuse, right? But St. Peter's is obviously inexcusable, but like you go on. And by the way, St. Peter's, they were up by like double figures in the second half in that game and melted down Kansas state. They, they were in the lead with Antonio Reeves, literally doing nothing with under five minutes to go. So they're not that far away from having another couple runs, but we just said it with Rick Barnes. It is a tournament based sport. It is a March based sport. It's when everybody pays attention and, you know, Kentucky more than anybody. And we we talked about this on our Big East preview. And, and I said this as, as a UConn guy is that Dan Hurley's first two NCAA tournaments, it was one and done. And there started to become a question of like, OK, can you win? Can you win games in March? Now, he obviously quieted those critics, but UConn is a lot like Kentucky. Kentucky is a lot like UConn, whatever you want to say. The, the expectation isn't to get to, to the NCAA tournament and be happy with that. The expectation is to win games when you get there. Cal hasn't done it enough, and, and and bluntly, you know, he deserves the criticism that he's been getting the last couple of years. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Absolutely. Looking at Kentucky's non-conference schedule, they really just have three big marquee games. It's Kansas in the Champions Classic. It's Miami at home in the ACC-SEC Challenge. And then they will host North Carolina in mid-December. Uh, you know, I see the Louisville game on there. I, I don't really know if uh, I should count that or not. But well, they they do play Gonzaga late. They 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 the they play Ooh, Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's really cool. I'm glad they did this. Is and I don't know if it's if I don't I honestly don't know if Kentucky didn't want to front load their schedule or whether Gonzaga is starting to buy that narrative of like, hey, we don't play enough big games late in the season, but. I think that's going to be a really cool showcase for college basketball is to get that Gonzaga game in February. It's probably either the weekend of the Super Bowl or the weekend before the Super Bowl when people are really starting to pay attention to college basketball. So I'm not totally sure as to why they decided to schedule that game then, but I think that's going to be great. But by then we should kind of have a feel for who Kentucky is. And that's how Cal has always been. I think he's done a good job of you get those two or three Marquiata conference games, Champions Classic, CBS Sports Classic, like you said, against North Carolina. He'll never play an MTE. That's not what he does. He doesn't believe in them. Um, but you'll get those two or three marquee non-conference games. Then you get into SEC play. As you said, you know, I guess Louisville by technicality maybe is a marquee game. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you what. That'll be a separate podcast in and of itself if they lose to Louisville. Because uh, you know you think people are bad now. If they lose to this Louisville team, uh, there would be there would be a, a lot of you know be a lot of unhappy people in blue. So no doubt. So it's funny you mentioned Alabama, and I wanted to talk about them next. And it's so interesting, right? Because we've only done a couple of these previews. Uh, we did the Big East, and we just started the SEC. And there have been a few instances, right? Like UConn is one that comes to mind for me. We're going to talk a little bit about Arkansas later in this podcast. And even though they did lose a lot, I still think they're going to be just fine long-term. I don't necessarily feel the same way about Alabama. Mm. And I know it's crazy because Nate Oates, he's clearly established himself as one of the best coaches in not only the SEC, but in college basketball. He's done a great job winning both the SEC regular season and conference tournament title last year. But 
I just look at the amount this team lost. It's five of their top seven leading scorers. We all know about Brandon Miller. You mentioned Jaden Bradley. It was a little bit of a surprise to me that he transferred considering how much he played last year. And if he were to come back, like how big of an opportunity he would have gotten. Noah Clowney was awesome last year. Betty Ako, he was arguably the best rim protector in the SEC. And I don't think people around Alabama were even expecting him to go. I feel like if he would have came back, He would have been one of the best players in the SEC this year. Even Quinterly, like, I know he has his ups and downs, but he is a valuable older piece in today's game. And I like some of the moves they made in the transfer portal, right? Aaron Estrada, he should be their go-to guy, and he should score a lot of points. Grant Nelson, we all watch the highlight tape and know why he's such an intriguing prospect in this game. But I just look at what Alabama lost, plus... I know San Diego State was really good, but that was a disappointing tournament loss, losing in the Sweet 16. And as soon as they got punched in the mouth in that game, they kind of just wilted. And I know there was a lot going on with this program off the court last year. They were still able to win plenty of games and uh, win the SEC. But in this loaded of a conference, and I know Nate Oates has gotten the job done, I just am not as high as the consensus on this Alabama team. And I would have them ranked outside the top five of the sec to start the season wow um uh yeah i mean i'd I'd probably have them at about five you know what i would say about them i trust nato okay so like let's just get that out of the way um and i'm not sure that i like love how all the pieces fit this year though right and and like part of it was by the way Nate lost all three assistant coaches to head coaching jobs and was literally recruit doing everything by himself because he didn't have assistant coaches for the, there for a while. So I, we I have to acknowledge three assistant coaches like that. Like that's I just- think it's happened like I heard somebody share this stat. It's happened like once in like the past 10 years or so, like something insane like that. I mean, it, it's like it never happens. And so so he had a lot of work to do on his own. It was not easy. Okay. But at the same time, like a couple things. One, I do think like the pieces that you lost, as you said, are really important. And it's it's not just Brandon Miller. It's guys that you thought you were going to have back, or I think at least the public thought you were going to have back. Quinterly pulls out of the NBA draft. You assume that he is going to be back at Alabama, and then it's whatever it is, July or whatever, and he decides to leave. Betty Ako, I know for certain they assumed they were going to have him back, and he had a a good workout very late in the process um, and about 10 o'clock at night on the East coast, you just find out he's not coming back. Um, and so I don't, you know, this is the, the, the gift and curse college basketball. You have a good year, you have a good season guys end up leaving. What I would say though, about this team, I, I, I trust Nate Oates. I don't love the pieces. Okay. So first of all, Aaron Estrada, maybe I'm totally going to be, I'll, I might be wrong on this. I've been wrong on a lot of stuff through the years. He played at the high major level and could not get off the maybe we're like, oh, he's a two-time CAA, this and then and the other thing. And then like he's gonna be really good. It's not, it's not that he's not really good, but he was at Oregon a few years ago and could not get off the bench. And so does that 21 a game in the CAA become nine and a half, ten? And is that enough? Um, the other thing is, and I really like Grant Nelson. Grant Nelson can't shoot. And like, you know, the reason he's still in college basketball, if he was a 35% three-point shooter, he'd be in the NBA right now. He's in college basketball because he's like a 26% three-point shooter. At least he was at North Dakota State. And so now it's it's on Nate Oates to bring it out of him. And maybe Nate Oates does bring it out of him. And if he does, he's a first-round pick. But 
can't shoot. And I think you kind of sort of need it. I know Betty Yako didn't really shoot the ball well last year, but pretty much everybody else did. I'm not totally sold on Estrada. The one thing I will say, and I'm not the first person to say this, and I think you and I maybe even talked about it off air. I do think Ryland Griffin's a guy that's going to like break out this year where, you know, freshman, he was good, but I think he's going to have a much bigger role. They're going to need him to have a bigger role. Unlike the other guys he's played in the sec. That's a guy that I think is going to be really good, but, but those are some of my concerns with Bama. Yeah. And I just felt like the thing that made this team so good last year and really what helped them break out onto the scene was like guys like Noah Clowney kind of coming out of nowhere. He was like, a back-end top 90 recruit, and he plays himself into being a first-round pick in the NBA draft. I mean, Brandon Miller, we all knew he was good, but I don't know if anyone was expecting him to really be a top five. Let let me jump in on that. I was thinking about this because I'm hearing like, oh, this is like this 2024 coming up. Oh, it's the worst NBA draft class ever or whatever. And it's like, well, a year ago it was – it's Wemby 1, Scoot Henderson 2, and then you can – who cares at number 3? And Brandon Miller played himself into that conversation. So the idea that, like, one, that the draft class is terrible, I don't buy. But then, two, that guys don't emerge over the course of a college basketball season. I'm just confirming what you're saying. Nobody was talking about Brandon Miller as the number two pick in the NBA draft at this time last year. Yeah, and and really the same thing with Clowney. Like, those were the two guys that made this team go, and all of a sudden they were great. The other thing is, like, Mark Sears, he uh, will be coming back, the point guard transfer from Ohio. I think he's really good when you put him in a position like last year, when you just surround him with elite talent, Miller, Clowney, Betty Aco, Quinterly, all those guys. And I just don't know if he's going to be as effective with like less talent around him. And you mentioned Griffin, who could be really good. They also have Nick Kringle coming back, a guy that played sparingly last year. He's going to see a lot more time, but I just think they lost so much. I'm just going to have to believe it when I see it. Um, when it comes to this Alabama team. And there are a lot of pieces. Like, I, I have a tough time, and I bet Nate Oates is going to have some trouble with this as well, like kind of mapping out like a projected lineup and a projected rotation because you you have so many options. And I don't know if there's anyone who has really separated themselves from the group just yet. They bring in Wrightsill, who's a transfer who could shoot the ball. Mohamed Wegu from West Virginia, a good front court player. They have a, a good freshman, Jaron Stevenson. Like, there are a lot of different bodies on this team. And I'm wondering, like, what Nate Oates is going to do to uh, organize it. They also bring in a freshman named Sam Walter, so I got to give a shout out. Tracked me down at a basketball event and was like, dude, I've listened to your podcast. I love your work, man. Keep it up. So shout out Sam Walters, who's also a freshman there. He's about a 6'9", 6'10", forward from Florida. But I'm with you is that, um, by the way, that was the worst tumble brag ever. Forgive me. I apologize. But, um, like, yeah, I I do think that, I think even more, like, you know, Kentucky has all new players. I think we kind of know, you know, and they're going to get guys back from injury, but I think we kind of have a feel for like probably who four of the five starters are or who they will be when they're fully healthy with Bama. Like, I think we kind of have a feel, but I do think there is a lot of, there's going to be some stuff to figure out. And I think the other thing too is, is, you know, it, it also becomes, and this is what everybody deals with. So I'm not trying to like, Oh, Bama has this big issue, but you have a lot of guys that like kind of, I don't want to say they want to be somewhere else, but like Grant Nelson specifically came to Bama to be a one and done, get me to the league. Jaron Stevenson reclassified because he believes he's a one and done, get me to the league. Um, you know, so so I, I do think there's going to be a little bit of that on top of all of the other stuff where 
again, I everybody deals with that, but I do think there's a couple kids that it's specifically like, okay, I came here for this specific reason. Now it's time to do it. Maybe that's unfair because I know that's the same at Kentucky and the same at Arkansas and the same at UConn. And- worth noting as well with them. Absolutely. So the next team I wanted to talk about, this is an interesting one to me. It's Texas A&M. And the Ooh. act were interesting last year in the sense that Going into the season, I was pretty high on them. I thought they were an NCAA tournament team. I thought they were just around that top 25 range because two years ago, they ended the season playing really well. We all remember Buzz Williams and his just uh, epic rant at the NIT, uh, just bashing the metrics and all the analytics being used. I remember that. uh, How to select the teams into the tournament. I've kind of flipped the switch, though, going into this season with the Aggies. And it's one of those examples where I am just not, a thousand percent convinced about the ceiling of this team. Like usually when you're in a position like they are, when you're bringing everyone back from an NCAA tournament team that played really well, my expectations would be, Oh, I expect you to get better and uh, just keep climbing your way. But at the same time, and I don't know if it's just the fact that they lost Dexter Dennis. I don't know if it's the fact that they were really disappointing in their one NCAA tournament game that lost to Penn state. I just view and I look at their team. I think they're solid. I I would have them ranked again, like back end top 25. I just compare their ceiling to some of the other top SEC teams, like a Tennessee, like a Kentucky, like an Arkansas, like an Auburn, who we'll get into in a little bit. And I'm just not as high on them as the consensus, just because I don't know how much better a guy like Wade Taylor could be. He, he, rightfully so is going to enter this season as the preseason sec player of the year but i just don't know how how much better he could get uh you know the other guys they're bringing back henry coleman um i just am not as high on the aggies as everyone else going into this season and i'm curious how that translates tyrese radford like they have a lot of older experienced players but i just feel like time has kind of run its course with them and there were not a lot of times last year where i watched a&m and i said to myself like man this could be a final four team. I never felt that way. I don't know if you did. Yeah, they're they're kind of the opposite of of what we've been talking about. And it's funny because you know, I do a radio hit every week in in College Station, Texags, David Nuno. And there's so like it's funny when you think about it, there's so much chaos around the football team at Texas AM. It's like there's just always something. Things are going wrong. Jimbo says the wrong thing. Picking on coaching hot. What's that? Kicking on fourth and one, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, punting on fourth and one. This guy's hurt. This guy's not. What is the and it's like AM's the exact opposite in basketball, where it's like it's just it's it's the wildest program because especially in the SEC where you know recruiting is at a really high level to a lot of these places. Let's be honest, NIL is a factor in a lot of these decisions. That's okay, you're allowed. Those are the rules, right? But I bring it up because AM is just kind of like the exact opposite, right? Is like I don't know if so. I I tend to sort of feel the way that you do is like have all those guys maxed out, but it's like, are we also just bored with them because we know like like we kind of saw everything there is to see with like like there's nothing new to get excited about, right? Like when Alabama gets a commitment from Grant Nelson, it's like, oh, Grant Nelson, who's that? I got to look his highlights up on YouTube and Kentucky, and it's like with A and M, it's like. We kind of know exactly how it's going to work because it's exactly the same number of players, the same same players, same roles, same everything. And so I guess what it really is going to come down to for them is 
you know, one, do they get incrementally better? Because I'm with you. I don't think the ceiling gets exponentially higher. But then two, it almost becomes one of those issues of um, basically like, basically like, do you truly believe in your heart of hearts, not you, Zach, but you, the, the, the consumer, like that experience and retention and things like that matter, right? Because the teams that made the final four last year, you know, UConn was bringing back three, four starters from the year before Sonogo Hawkins and Jackson, San Diego state brought back everybody. And they were all a million years old. Um, You know, even Miami had a bunch of guys back from a team that had, 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 you know, had made what they made the elite eight the year before uh, where they lost to Kansas. So, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, like like our buddy John Rostein always tweets out all these stats about, you know, th- the last last year's Final Four teams had this many starters coming back. And don't forget about the returning players. And it's like, so is A&M like if you believe that that is the, the pathway to success in college basketball, then you should like Texas A&M. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make is I'm not either high or low. I just think we kind of know who they are. And so there's just not as much reason to get excited. Like, I'll give you a quick example. I know I'm going long here, but like on our Big East preview, we talked a ton about UConn. We talked a ton about St. John's. We talked a ton about um, Creighton even because they lost a couple guys in the portal, added a couple guys. It's like we didn't really talk about Marquette because it's like we saw this whole team last year. We know what they're capable of. And I just kind of feel like that's the same with Texas A&M this year. Absolutely. And the only reason I phrased it like that is because there are a lot of people labeling them as the preseason favorite in the league and yeah, like i don't know if i would get, either yeah yeah i get why but i i just wouldn't necessarily yeah. agree with that i think i agree with you on that is i think they're going to be really good i know and by the way the argument is they finished second last year they number two behind alabama alabama lost everyone as you said um and so i see the argument but i'm with you i i, I wouldn't probably put them as the preseason favorite the next team i wanted to talk about is auburn and i feel like i'm higher on this auburn team than most and i'll explain why I would say over the course of the last four or five years, my opinion has really changed on Bruce Pearl. Like each year I've watched his Auburn team. I've just been more impressed and more impressed. And it's funny because two years ago, right, was the coming out party for this program. They they got all the way to the number one ranked spot in the AP poll. And even when they were doing that, I, I was a big fan of everything that Pearl built and the program, the stage he got that program to be on Auburn basketball felt as relevant, as big as ever, but I just never really thought deep down, like this is the best team in the country. And they flamed down the NCAA tournament. That season really did not end well for them. But last year really showed me a lot. I thought going into the season, they lose Jabari Smith. They lose Walker Kessler. Those are two very highly drafted players in the NBA. And I just thought, man, like there's no way this team is going to be any good. Those two guys were their whole team two years ago how is Bruce Pearl going to do this? And even through with a season with a lot of ups and downs, they still found a way to not only get into the NCAA tournament, but win an NCAA tournament game. And in the round of 32, they really pushed Houston, the number one seeded Cougars. They had a lead on them late in the second half. I believe they had a double digit halftime lead as well. And the fact that they were able to do that last year when I didn't even love their roster makes me really excited about how they're going to be this season because I look at the players they have and I'm really intrigued. Janae Broom, there weren't many players in all of college basketball that ended last season playing better than he did. They bring in a top 20 ranked five-star freshman in Aiden Holloway. They bring back KD Johnson, who's another guy. Like I know he's had his ups and downs, but I think playing without Wendell Green, like he's not in the picture anymore. Like no offense to him, but I was just not a fan. Didn't love his style of play. 
I think KD without him is going to be really good, really productive. And we know when he gets going, how excited of a player he could be. Also, they bring back, I don't even know if you call them role players, but just experienced guys that have been in the program for a really long time that I think are going to get better. Jalen Williams. I was really intrigued. Most times I watched him last year. Chris Moore. And Bruce Pearl is just a heck of a coach. I think he could be the most underrated coach in college basketball based on what he's able to get out of his program. I'm really high on this Auburn team. I was pretty disappointed that they weren't ranked in the preseason AP top 25 that just came out. I think they should have been there. And I think they have just as good of an argument as a lot of these other teams in the SEC to have just a monster, monster season. Yeah, I think for people who have just started following college basketball in like the last 10 years, like Auburn was, I mean, I, I would put it up as irrelevant of a basketball program as any in the any in the power five, power six, whatever you want to call it in basketball as recently as about 2013, whenever Bruce Pearl took over. So he's done an incredible job. And, and you know, I, I don't know that I have like a super strong opinion about them. You're, I think you're higher on them than I am. Um, what I will say, and I think we all know this, it's not like I'm not breaking news here, is listen, two years ago, uh, or two, I guess it would have been three summers ago going into two years ago, uh, you know, you're coming off a, a year where you have a self-imposed postseason ban. Sharif Cooper leaves for people who remember that name and you need guards. And like you went and got Wendell Green, you went and got Jasper. Um, and I get it. Like, it's what you had to do. That's what the portal's there for, whatever. And, and Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, like were so good that it really didn't matter. But by last year, you kind of felt like, okay, this, the, no disrespect, but those two, like they had run their course. And so I think it's just one. It's almost like what we were saying with Oscar Shibwe, which, you know, is a weird comparison because Oscar Shibwe, six foot nine, 260 or whatever, national player of the year. But it was like, okay, it's time to reset and it's time to try something new. And so I think that's probably what I'm most excited about. And to your point, I think they have dudes that have gotten it done at this level. Uh, Janae Broom was as good as anybody down the stretch. Um, and then, uh, you know, Katie Johnson was one, like, I'll be honest, like I knew he was back, but I kind of forgot he was back. And you remember two years ago when they were really good, like the, the emotional catalyst that he was. So I think they're more of a, uh, you know, I'm not too high. I'm not too low. I'm just really excited to see them, especially when you mentioned, you know, Aiden Holloway, the, the five-star point guard that they bring in. I'm just excited to see them because I'm not totally sure what I expect from them this year. Yeah, I think they're kind of a boomer bust team, and, and I'll I'll invest in the boom. I, I think they're going to be uh, really good. One last team I wanted to get into specifics with you on, and then we'll go uh, a little bit around the league to end this. Arkansas, of course. Eric Musselman, it is unreal what he's been able to do. He is now entering his fifth season as the head coach of Arkansas. Crazy how fast time uh, flies by. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting with this Arkansas team, right? Because you, anyone who listened to this show knows, like both of us, huge Eric Musselman believers, we believe that when he's your coach, you're always going to have a shot. You're going to most likely have success in the NCAA tournament. And with transfers on his team, there is no one better at getting the best out of those transfers. And I do think it's interesting, too. Like, they do bring back some returning pieces. Devo Davis, a guy that has been in the program for a really long time now. I think he's super underrated, very valuable to their ability to, to win games over the course of the last few years. And Trevon Brazil. And it's funny, I know we've mentioned and spoken a lot about all of the injuries and everything that went wrong for this Arkansas team a year ago with Anthony Black and Nick Smith Jr. and Jordan Walsh. All three of those guys are gone. I just think the Brazil injury right before the start of SEC play oh, yeah. 
was the killer because he looked so good. He was living up to all the potential, all the hype people were talking about uh, with him when he came into the program from Missouri. And I think what could determine this team's season and just how good they are is if Brazil could get back to anything close to that same form. Because not that I don't, I, I, I think I'm indifferent about the transfers Arkansas brought in. I think Tremont Mark is a, a fine, solid player that could help uh, your team win games. We saw that during his time in Houston. But if he's your team's best player, I don't know how good you're going to be. L. Ellis had his moments at Louisville, but he was really inefficient last year. I'm curious to see how he does with much more limited volume. Uh, you know, I just think when you look at this team, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm as excited as I've been going into the last few years with Arkansas, just because there are a few more questions, but I wouldn't be shocked by season's end if this team is right back in the thick of things as a top 15, top 20 team in the country. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, it's it's the everything we've talked about on this show is who are you in, in October, November versus who are you in March? And the one thing I'll say about coach Moss, I don't think there's a better coach in college basketball. Calipari's up there of going into a season, thinking you're going to be one thing and then continuing to tinker with the pieces until you figure it out quite like coach Moss. You know, it's almost like what Nick Saban had to go through with Alabama football this year is they think they're going to be one thing. They start Jalen Milrow. It doesn't work out. They bench him. They try the other guys and they go back to Jalen Milrow and they've kind of built everything to his skill set. And so, you know, when I look at coach Moss, I mean, you know, you look at what would it have been two seasons ago when they made the elite eight and lost to Duke, like Trey Wade was like their eighth, ninth, 10th guy or whatever. And then all of a sudden they just put him in the starting lineup. He gave them exactly what they needed and they took off as a team from there. And so, I don't think there's anybody better at tinkering in season and figuring it out and making it work than, than coach Musk. And I actually like the pieces because if you have Devo Davis as your point guard, and again, that's it's assuming that Trevin Brazil is something close to a hundred percent at least by the middle late of the year, then all, all of those other transfers, um, Al Ellis, I, I, you know, I think he averaged whatever 18, 19 a game last year, but it was inefficient. As you said, well, he's not going to be, I mean, that Louisville team was really bad, like exceptionally bad. And so instead of taking 20 shots a game, maybe he's only taking 13, but they're much better looks and he's not the focal point of the scouting report. Tremont Mark is an elite defensive guard. So I actually think the pieces kind of fit nicely. And if they don't, you got a coach that has a very good track record of of, of making them work. Um, and then I, I think the other thing is, worth noting with them is really two things is one last year. They were so freshman dependent um, and coach Moss is just a guy. He's better with older players. 
But you do have not only older players, but you have a lot of guys that are back. I mean, Devo Davis is back. Trevin Brazil is back. Joseph Pinion's back. Uh, Jalen Graham's back. Uh, I think it's Makai Mitchell is back. One of the two Mitchells is back. So you have some veteran guys. And so I'm excited. And I think they'll be good. Again, I think it's going to be a process all year long, like it always is. But I think this team has as much upside as any team that he has had. Um, you know, obviously as long as they can stay healthy and as long as Brazil's close to hundred percent, whatever, but I, I actually like them quite a bit. Um, and, and how some of those pieces fit when you have kind of those bookends of Devo Davis and Trevin Brazil in your starting lineup. Wow. That that's interesting because I could see this going like multiple different directions. I, I could see where you're coming from. Like if everything goes right, just how good they could be. But at the same time, man, like, you know, is there, I know we mentioned UConn and all the talent they lost uh, coming out of last year, Alabama as well. But man, like those three freshmen and say what you want, like Ricky Council, I think they're going to oh, miss. Ricky Council was the guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Nick Smith barely played. So I, I don't, and you know, Jordan Walsh was really good, but he was more of a defense energy guy. I think the two guys, Anthony Black, because Anthony Black just had the ball in his hands. And, you know, it was one thing. I actually talked to Coach Must before the draft about Anthony Black. It was on my podcast, so it's not like a big secret conversation that we had. I don't think I realized how much they put on that kid's plate until after the season. He's like, oh, yeah, like, no, Anthony would come to the huddle and say, hey, they're doing this. We need to change that. And so he was really good. He had a lot on his plate, not only for a freshman, but for anybody. And I thought he handled himself really well. And then the guy that you mentioned, Ricky Council, he was that veteran dude that you could just count on. Um, and I think he, he's the guy that I think, you know, like, like, you know, I, I don't have the stats in front of me of what he averaged, but it felt like he was a 16, 17, a night kind of guy. And if I'm wrong on that, I'll feel really dumb, but he was the one guy that it felt like, okay, Anthony black is going to put everybody in the right position. And Ricky council is going to be the guy to capitalize. So I'm with you is I think those two specific and Jordan Walsh too. I don't, I don't mean to dismiss what he did, but I think those two Anthony black and Ricky council are really going to be missed. Yeah, and one last thought on Arkansas, man. Like, when this team gets to the NCAA tournament, no matter how they're playing at points during the regular season, when you have Eric Musselman on your side in the tournament, you're always going to have a legit shot. Like, him beating Kansas in the round of 32 last year, I know Bill Self didn't coach in that game, but that was just so impressive. The fact that Arkansas was really trailing for the majority of that game, um, injuries galore, and they still just found a way to win. And uh, I'm looking forward. Hopefully, the injury luck could be a little bit more kind to them this year, I'm really looking forward to watching them play and uh, that Duke game in the ACC SEC challenge. That's going to be must see TV. Yeah, One real last- quick, by the way, Council did average 16 a game because, like, you know, how sometimes you just throw stuff out there. You're like, oh, yeah, Council, he was like a 17 a game score last year. And then he averaged like 11 and you feel really stupid. Uh, so I'm happy to report, yes, Ricky Council was the leading scorer. My mind is not slipping me as I get older. Uh, he was really good. But yes, no, to your point, um, they just could the problem with them last year, they just they couldn't get any continuity. As you said, Trevin Brazil was awesome early, then he gets hurt. Then Nick Smith comes back, then he gets hurt again, then he comes back late, and the roster's kind of, you know, they they figured everything out. They have that big win at Rupp, and then Nick Smith comes back either the next game or the game after. So the last part that you said, I think, is the important part is like, can you just get some kind of continuity? Can you keep guys healthy? And it's interesting too, like this is a just a team built with a mix of Guys coming back, transfers, and freshmen. Like, yep. from what I'm hearing, uh, Wade and Blocker and Bayfall, they're both going to have pretty big impacts. Yeah, Bayfall, they're both really good. Um, Layden Blocker, I think, was a little bit underrated uh, coming out. 
And Bay Fall is like he's just like a cyborg. He's like 6'11, super long, kind of plays down low, but kind of plays on the perimeter. Um, you know, I I, I think he's gonna get better every I I, I you know, I should know this, but I, I don't know how where Trevin Brazil is in his recovery, but Trevin Brazil, like that's the kind of guy that Bayfall will get better practicing against every day. Um, and he has a chance to be a really good player, yes. One last big picture thought on the SEC as a conference before we get out of here. I know it's easy when we're previewing these conferences and trying to predict how these teams are going to be separating the conference into tiers. And a lot of the teams we hit on to start this preview podcast, like Arkansas, like Kentucky, like Tennessee, Auburn, I anticipate all those teams to be near the top of the league when it's all said and done. But at the same time, I'm also very intrigued by the second group of teams, the second tier and the teams I'm talking about, Missouri, Florida, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, really those four in particular. And I think it's interesting because I like everyone has different opinions on them. Like, no, depending on who you talk to, you could see someone who's high on Florida or who's low on Mississippi State, things like that. I would just say, though, out of that group of teams, the highest I'd be on is Missouri and our guy, Dennis Gates. I was really impressed with what he was able to do last year, especially given the circumstances. I think he did a really good job constructing the roster of the right transfers, and he did a really Mm -hmm. good job in the transfer portal just finding the guys that would fit his program best. And I think, too, they're another team that loses a lot from last year's team. Demoy Hodge, he's playing in uh, the NBA right now. I saw him uh, on the Lakers in a preseason game the other night. You even look at Kobe Brown. He was a first-round pick. I don't really uh, think anyone saw that coming going into last season. And they bring back some of those guys like a Sean East, like a Nick Honor, while also adding some really good transfers in Josh Tanjay from Colorado uh, State. Tamar Bates from Indiana, who I was always very intrigued by uh, during his time playing for Mike Woodson. Even guys like um, Caleb Grill from Iowa State. I know he had some troubles off the court with that team, but when he was on the floor, he was really good. Connor Vanover, a name that uh, Arkansas fans are familiar with. (laughs) I think there is enough talent here that with Dennis Gates leading the way, Missouri is going to get back to the NCAA tournament for the second year in a row. And the team I'd be down on in that group is Florida. I know that there's a lot of hype with Todd Golden. And a lot of people view him as like one of the best bright young minds in all of college basketball. But for me, another situation where I'll just have to uh, believe it when I see it, because Florida had a lot of talent last year and it was just very clear from very early on, it wasn't going to work. Now to their credit, they do bring back maybe the guy that might win SEC player of the year in Riley Kugel. I think he's phenomenal. Very fun to watch. He's going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft, but you look at some of their transfers. I like Walter Clayton, but he's from Iona. They bring in Zion Pullen uh, from the Big West Conference. Like, are these guys good enough to really get this Florida team over the hump with a coach that just hasn't really won enough for me to really buy in? So th- that's my thoughts on the mid-tier group of the SEC. I'm high on Missouri, down on Florida. Yeah, a couple of things real quick. One, with Missouri, first of all, I like those transfers too. Tanji was really good for Colorado State two years ago when they made the NCAA tournament, was hurt last year. I think he's I, I think he's a really good player. And the other thing with him too, he committed like he, – he entered the portal super early and then committed super early. And so I think like if he had gone through the recruitment, he would have gotten hit up by a lot of those bigger schools and people would be probably more familiar with him. I agree with you on Tamar Bates. 
Um, I, you know, I think Missouri's in that second tier. Like you said, I can't sit here and say, I think they're a definitive tournament team only because the league is so deep. Um, Florida, I'm kind of with you. And, you know, the thing with, with Todd Golden is, and like, you know, this isn't a knock. It's just a reality is, is last year. Okay. Whatever. First year, whatever. Like you go back to San Francisco when he got, when they got the at large bit. Okay. And credit to him. If you go back and actually look at who they beat, it wasn't that impressive. It was just the way they beat teams on neutral courts road. Like it looked good in the computers. I think if I remember correctly, they beat one. I think they beat like one NCAA tournament team all year. And that was like Davidson who, uh, you know, who won their conference, but they got smoked by Gonzaga every time they played them. They got, you know, I don't, I don't think they beat St. Mary's that year. And so it's not a knock, but I think some of the narrative on Todd Golden is a little bit overblown. Um, He's kind of one again, I'm going to have to see it if I believe it, but they do have talent with all the guys you mentioned. The one that I'm super intrigued, intrigued by because of the name um, is Ole Miss and Chris Beard, man. I mean, I think I think that's going to be a jarring thing for even SEC fans. It's going to be, you know, you're probably not going to think much about Ole Miss in the, the, the out-of-conference portion. Maybe they'll have a big game or two. And then you're going to turn on either an SEC game or a game in November. Oh, my God. I forgot Chris Beard was the head coach at Ole Miss. And, you know, this was a guy that four or five years ago was coaching uh, in a national championship game last year. Like we can we all know how it ended at Texas and that that's, you know, been talked about enough. They were number one in the country at one point in the year when he was coaching them. It's not like. You know, even like somebody like Patino, like we all love Patino, but it's been four, five, six years since he's been at the the high major level. Chris Beard literally had the number one team in the country last year. So I'm just intrigued by that. Now, the thing with them that's really interesting, they have a couple multi-time transfers. Um, and I am curious with the waiver process it, in, in college football, the, the NCAA basically you, you had to pull some real strings to, to, to get waivers for, for second time transfers. Um, now as an example, like Brandon Murray, who I think has a chance to be really good for them. Um, you know, he was at two schools where the head coach got fired. Will Wade at LSU, Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. So I think he should get a waiver. I don't know that he will. Uh, Musa Cisse, I don't think he's probably going to get a waiver unless I missed something. Maybe he already did and I missed it, but he doesn't really have much of an argument. He was at two schools, didn't like it, left. And it's like, so I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is I think like I think if if they get those guys and things break right, I think they could mess around and be a tournament team. Not saying they will, but I think they could. But one, I don't even know if those guys are going to be eligible. And then two, if they are, you got to see how they mix with everybody. Yeah, and looking at this roster like up close and personal right now, there are about three or four guys. You mentioned uh, a couple of them. Murray and um, Cissé are, are two of them. But I'm even looking at like Austin Nunez. He really flashed watching him at Arizona State last year. And if he's eligible for this team, I think he could be an impact guy. Uh, Alan Flanagan, he did get a waiver. So the former Auburn transfer, he will be good to go to start for Ole Miss. And uh, the other guy is Jamarian Sharp from Western Kentucky, a guy that people there's been chatter about him uh, maybe entering the transfer portal over the course of the last few years. He finally did this year. He's 7'5", 235, probably the best shot blocker in all of college basketball. I, I don't know if they're going to get Cissé, but you have those guys along with two returning players in Jamin yeah. Field and Matt Morell, both really good, productive SEC yeah. players. I, I see the intrigue. Th- this is definitely a wild card team. I could yeah. see many different well, and the other thing, two two more things. They're going to play really hard, and they're going to be really good on defense. And you do those two things, 
you can catch, you know, if, if you're Ole Miss and you're kind of good, but you're not elite and, you know, Tennessee's coming to town, but they got Kentucky on Saturday or Kentucky's coming to town, but they got Arkansas on Saturday. That's the kind of game that, you know, even if Beard is at a talent disadvantage, like he's going to have his guys ready to go play. They're going to play defense. And if you're not ready to go, you're not going to win really quick. I I want to ask you, because I think you were pretty high on them before all this injury news, but Mississippi State, like I, I feel you feel bad, man. Chris Jans, really good coach. They people forget they they were one of the play in teams last year. So they technically made the tournament. They were in one of those first four games. Um, and then we found out this week or a week ago, whatever it was, Tolu Smith, their best player, is going to be out probably until the new year. That's another team. Like they just they basically return everybody. And it's like if if they were at a hundred percent. That's the kind of team that'll be picked to finish like sixth or seventh in the preseason that I think could have finished like second or third, almost like an AM last year. But again, they just lost their best player for I'm just curious for, for your perspective on that. It's funny, man. Before the injury to Tolu Smith, I, I was really high. I, I was definitely thinking they were a tournament team, was even considering maybe ranking them. But I just think what's so interesting about them is their elite on defense, and that won them a lot of games last year. But at the same time, they just had so much trouble scoring the basketball yes. without Tolu. I just don't know if you're going to be able to improve that. Now, the good thing is they do have basically everyone coming back. And I do think there are guys that can improve. Like one player in the SEC that I really like that I think is pretty underrated is their point guard, Deshaun Davis. He mm-hmm. was a transfer from Oregon State. And I believe he did some really big things at the Juco level before he got there. And I was very impressed with how under control he was with the ball in his hands last year it felt like Mississippi State was very organized on offense every time uh, he took the ball down the floor and then they have some former transfers that have just been in the program for a really long time now going back to the Ben Howland days and uh, DJ Jeffries and Shaquille Moore both those guys are going to be back and both those guys were super up and down last year but especially without Tolu like those are the two guys they're going to need to really step up and get things rolling because with those two and Deshaun Davis, Cameron Matthews is an experienced player. I do like the core of this team and I do love Chris Jans as a coach. Like basically everywhere he goes, he wins. But I just really hope losing Tolu, like that's one of the five best players in the SEC going into this season and, and losing him is just such a bummer. Yeah. Again, they're just one because they're almost like what we said about AM is like because. They basically returned everybody, no disrespect, but it's Mississippi State. It's not a program that people are constantly talking about. I, I think even going through the prep work, I was a little surprised at how much they returned. And like you, I, I didn't have them in my preseason top 25, but I absolutely think you could have made an argument. But I, I can't disagree that the um, you know the injuries are, are going to be really, really, really costly for them. Absolutely. Before we get out of here, AT, I'll, I'll leave you with one last question. If you were going to set, if I were going to set the over under on NCAA tournament teams in the SEC at seven and a half this year, do you think that's an appropriate number? And would you take the over or the under? Um, All right. Off the top of my head, I think the first ones that we talked about Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama, Auburn, AM. So they're they're all, I, I would say those six I do feel pretty good about. Um, I don't think I'm as high on you as Mississippi State, although I think Gates is is a beast, and I think they're really good. Or uh, Missouri, I think I said Mississippi State. I'm not quite as high on Miss, on Missouri as you. So so let me say this. So to answer your question, I will go over. I will give the six that I just gave: Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama, Auburn, and Texas A&M. And then I will say two out of the four of Missouri, Florida, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss. I think I might be a little higher on Ole Miss than you. 
I will say two of those four get in, giving the SEC eight teams in this year's NCAA tournament. I just can't wait to watch this league, man. I definitely think it has a great argument of being the best, most talented conference in college basketball. I mentioned it earlier, but just the improvement and the investment in basketball and the coaching in this league, it's very impressive, and I just can't wait to see it play out. I just still can't believe Chris Beard is coaching Ole Miss. I just I, every time like just something random happens, and I'll, I'll just be like, "Oh yeah, Chris Beard is the head coach." That's unfreaking. And listen, like we don't we know what happened. We know why he's not the coach of Texas. That's a separate conversation. And but Ole Miss got him. You can agree whether they should have hired him, whether they shouldn't have. He's a darn good coach. And like I said, it's not you know I think sometimes you know a guy gets in some sort of legal trouble, ethical trouble, whatever. And they're out of the sport for like five years and they come back and it's a completely different sport. He was, he literally had the number one team in the country last year. Like they were not, and it wasn't like, Oh, they got hot after he left. They were number one while he was coaching them. Um, And Oh, by the way, they made the elite eight after he left too. So like, it's just like, that's just one that it's like, again, I, I I know that it's, it, it happened a while ago, but I just, uh, it's just, it's, it's not a good or bad thing. It's just like, like I said, I think the first time that you turn on an old Miss game and maybe it's like an SEC network, you know, Jan, you know, December first SEC game. Oh, they're playing whoever Tennessee. And you're just like, Oh, I want to watch Tennessee. And you're going to, Oh sh- crap. Chris Beard, the old Miss coach. I can't believe it. So that is, you know, and I just think, again, you add another guy of that caliber to this league. It makes it so interesting. Absolutely. And uh, I'm looking actually at Ole Miss's schedule right now. Their first game in the SEC will be against Tennessee. Wow. I had no idea. That was incredible. Can't wait for that. Uh, I'm looking at their non-conference too. It's crazy. Memphis, NC State, Cal in the Pac-12, I think it's going to be better than a lot realized. So uh, yeah, I definitely think there's future ACC power Cal Golden Bears to you, by the way. So them and Duke, the future of the ACC, baby. But we'll do well. Maybe we'll preview the ACC next week. But uh, but no, they, you know they'll play some Marquiata Conference games. But again, I just it's just that's just one. It's like you know sometimes you just over the course of an off season you just forget stuff or whatever, and that's one. It's like damn man, like you think about all these coaches: Rick Barnes, Eric Musselman, Nato, it's Bruce Pearl, John Calipari. Oh, Chris Beard is there now. That's freaking crazy. So, and I in some ways kind of forgot how good of a coach he was because yeah. I was a little underwhelmed like what he did at texas like within that first year plus but as you said like he had them playing well enough to get all the way to number one in the country last year and what he did at texas tech was insane so this old miss basketball program they're desperate it didn't work out with uh, kermit davis and uh, i'm really looking forward to watching this team and like what the perception is around that program Me too, my friend. Me too. All right, AT, always a great time talking SEC hoops with you. I wanted to thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back throughout the next few days, the next few weeks, leading into the start of the college basketball season, breaking down all these conferences. There's nothing better than talking about the sport. AT, thank you so much for joining me. Looking forward to doing it again soon. Subscribe to the College Hoops Daily Podcast. Subscribe to the Air Force Pod YouTube channel. We will be back next week. Thank you, Zach. Thank you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.